this morning, we're going to be in Hebrews 12. Uh, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and crack that open. If there's a Bible, if you don't have one, if you don't own a Bible, there should be one somewhere in your arm's reach. That's our gift to you. Go ahead and take that, keep it, have it. We love giving Bibles away, so go ahead and do that. Um, the words will also be on the screen. We're going to be in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Um, I really, I think, as we embark on this new season, as we join into this new season of change and newness uh, here at CF, um, I really think this passage is a great encouragement and a great challenge for us um, as we go forward. And so uh, while you're flipping there, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on Hebrews. Um, this book really can be summed up uh, in one phrase. Jesus is better. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying over and over for the first 11 chapters of this book. Jesus is better. He's writing to Hebrew Christians, people who are coming out of Judaism. And so he's saying, look, you had the Old Testament law, you had the prophets, you had the kings. All of those things were good. Jesus is better. He is a better fulfillment of the law. He is a better king. He is a better prophet. He is better in every way possible. Jesus is better. And that's the first pretty much 10 chapters of Hebrews. And then chapter 11, some of you who have grown up in church know it as like the hall of faith. It's kind of a highlight reel of Christianity, of, of those people that you learn about in Sunday school, you know, of Abraham and Isaac and Noah and David and Daniel and all these great stories that we learn as kids. Um, and it's showing their faith over and over again. And so it's in light of those two ideas, that Jesus is better, and this hall of faith, these great men and women who have gone before us, who have finished the race, who have gone and said, look, I have followed closely to God. Yes, I am not perfect, but I have followed closely to God, and I have finished the race. I am now with God. It's in light of those two ideas that we get to Hebrews 12. Now, Hebrews 12 talks about a race, running a race. Some say, I was actually having a conversation with Sarah this morning, some say that I am too competitive. Um, that's all of my friends that are visiting this morning. Some say I am too competitive. I love sports. I love competing. And for those who say that I am too competitive, I'm not, and I win. So there you go. Um, I love sports. I love the idea of training and the camaraderie that comes from training with people and, and working as hard as you can to figure out who's the best. Right? Competition day, Sunday, football Sunday, two teams getting together. Who's better? I love that. And I'm not alone in that. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament writes over and over about running a race. He gives these images of the Olympic Games, of running races, of I have run a race, I'm finished, I've crossed the line, I've gotten the prize. And the writer of Hebrews says the same thing here this morning in Hebrews 12. He talks about running a race, and we are called as Christians to run a race, to run hard and fast. And that's what we're going to be looking at here this morning. So I'm going to read, and then we're going to jump in. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, so close, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The big emphasis of this passage is run. That's why the title of the sermon, Run. That's what the writer of Hebrews wants us to get, run. And he starts off and he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, this list of men and women from chapter 11 who ran the race, who finished already, who got their prize, they are there in the crowd. Picture the idea that you're on the track getting ready to run. They're in the crowd. They're already done. They've gotten their, war. They've gotten their award. They've done their cool down. 
but they've finished. These are men and women that we can look to. Right? These are the people who we hold up as pillars of the faith. People we look to and think, there's no way I could ever be like that guy. I couldn't be like Daniel. I couldn't be like David, like Abraham. That's their way to, they had this relationship with God that I could never understand. There's no possible way I could be like that. But they're just people. They're just people. They had their flaws. They were drunks. They were adulterers. They were murderers. There were times they just flat out ignored God. They heard exactly what he wanted them to do, and then they ran the other way. They were normal people. But what they have in common and what we can look to them for is inspiration and encouragement because they finished the race. They had the faith to follow God when it got hard, when it got ugly, even when they messed up and they fell. They got back up and they finished the race. And so with this idea in mind, with these men and women who have finished, we can look to them for inspiration as we get ready to run our race. Because they are there cheering us on. They are there to show us, hey, it's possible to get this done. Yes, life is hard and ugly and painful. But we can get through it. It is is possible to actually run the race and finish well. The writer of Hebrews uses a two-word phrase in this passage. He He repeats it. There's two words he repeats right there. It says, let us. Verse 1 says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And then he says again, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us. Us is plural. Us is a group. Us does not mean them or they. Us does not mean those Christians over there. Us does not mean those Christians in other churches. Us does not mean those Christians on the other side of the pew. Us means us. A collective group. Us in this room. Us means everybody. As a community. The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, this is hard. Running this race is difficult. It is a team effort. Let us run this race. This is not just a me thing. This is not just an elders thing. This is us as a community, as Christian fellowship. Let us run this race together. I say it all the time, Christianity is a team sport. We are all on the same team. If you're visiting this morning, it's draft day. Feel free to stick around. This is a team sport. We are a community. We are a family right here working together. And so he says, let us get rid of, lay aside all the weights and the sin which clings so closely. Let us lay aside every weight which clings so closely. You can't run a race if you're holding on to weights. The pros will tell you you can't run a race if you don't shave your legs, which I think that's a little extreme, but you don't want wind resistance, right? Let us run this race. You can't run while holding on to a weight. And I think it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. So there's a difference there between weights and sins. Weights are things that are not in, in, inherently evil or inherently bad or sinful, but they are things that can slow you down. There are things that can get in the way of running this race. Relationships, media, school, work, all these things are good. All these things are part of life, and we're called to do them and do them well. But when those things become the most important thing in our life, they become weights and they start slowing us down. Fall is a perfect time for this. Go home today. Think about all the different places you put your time and your energy and your money. 
Think about all the different things you do, all the different activities you do, all the different relationships, all the things that just take up your time. And then think about them, not in, is this bad, is this sinful, but think about them, are they helping me run the race to the best ability possible? Is where I'm putting my time and my energy and my money into, is it helping me run as fast as I possibly can? Because there are things where we put so much emphasis on relationships. We put so much emphasis on, I want to date that person. I want to marry this person. I want to have this job. I want to have a better job. I want to have a better house, a better car. It's okay to want things. It's okay to want those things. But when that becomes your sole obsession, when that becomes your sole focal point, that's a weight that's slowing you down. Because the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us there's one thing you're supposed to focus on, and it's not that. There are weights in our lives, and we have to look at are these things helping me run the best way possible? He also says, lay aside every sin which clings so closely. Another translation to that is the sin that so easily entangles. The sin that everyone's got one, right? Everyone's got that, those areas in our lives that we're prone to fall into. Each one of us has those things where it doesn't take much for Satan to give us a little push to fall into him. And it's different for everybody. It's pride, it's anger, it's jealousy, it's hatred, it's lust, it's whatever. whatever. But because we live in a fallen world, because that's part of the condition that we have to deal with, there are these things in our lives, these sins that cling so closely, that are right there all the time. And it's usually that sin that you get real excited about where I didn't fall into that temptation for six days, for seven days, for a month, for two months, for six months. And then something goes crazy, life gets hard, you get distracted, you get overwhelmed, and it's just a little push because that sin's clinging so closely. It's right there. Satan knows exactly. He's been paying attention. He takes really good study notes. And he knows exactly what you can push you right into. There are these sins that cling so closely. And what the writer of Hebrews says is take these weights, take these sins, lay them aside. Throw them off. Leave them over there. You don't need them for this race. They are slowing you down. You do not need them. But he says, let us do this. Let us do this together. That's why we're here. That's one of the reasons the church exists. This is a place where we can come together. And we don't have to show off how good we are, how great things are. We can come here and just be real. And just be open and say, you know what? I'm running this race. I'm trying to do this Christian life. And it's hard. And it hurts. And I'm tired. And it's okay to have those things. It's okay to show up on Sunday morning and not be great and fine. You can show up and be hurting. It says, let us take these weights off. That means we have to help each other pull these weights off. That means there are going to be times where people are going to walk into this church carrying these weights and it is on us to help untangle them. It means there are going to be times well, you're going to have to show up and you're going to have to acknowledge, you know what, I need some help running this race. I got tangled up. I tripped and fell. I skinned my knee. It hurts. I got a Band-Aid on it. I need some help. And that's part of why we're here. That's part of why the church exists. Let us throw these things aside so that we can run the race to the best ability possible. We have to be willing to let people know that we're struggling with our weights, with our sins that cling so closely. We have to be willing to be vulnerable with one another and say, you know what, no, I'm not fine. I'm not good. It was a hard week. It's been a hard month, a hard year, and I'm tired. And that's okay. That's the point of what we're doing here. 
We have to be willing to let other people in to our lives. Let us throw these weights aside. Let us get rid of these sins that cling so closely together as a community, as a team, as a family. The second place that the writer of Hebrews uses the word let us, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Our race is not a wind sprint. This is not a Usain Bolt 100-meter dash. It's a marathon. And if you ever trained for a marathon, I haven't because I'm not crazy. Well, if you ever trained for a marathon, i got friends that do it, and they're like, oh, I'm just going out for a nice, easy 13-mile run today. <laughs> okay. Not for me. But training for a marathon and running a marathon is hard. It takes a lot out of you. It's exhausting, and it takes endurance. When the writer of Hebrew, when the Bible says, you're going to need endurance to do this, you're going to need perseverance to do this, that means it's going to be hard. You don't need endurance and perseverance if it's easy and if it's over quick. The world is ugly and dark, and it takes endurance, and it takes being solely focused on the task at hand to get through this race. I grew up as a competitive swimmer. And so I spent many, 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 many hours staring at a black line on the bottom of a pool. And the things that helped me get through that were the people I was doing it with. It was the camaraderie of knowing that I wasn't doing it by myself. Because if I was the only one that showed up to practice, I was leaving. I wasn't the only one doing it. It was a team effort. We were encouraging each other. We were challenging each other. We were pushing each other. And it didn't help that my parents made me do it. I didn't want to jump in that water at 5.30 in the morning. Shock, I know, guys. Um, there's got to be a motivation. The motivation for me was I got to see my friends all the time. And like I said, I like to compete. So if I know I got to go to practice every day because I got to get ready because I got a swim meet coming up because I want to compete because I want to win because what's the point of competing if you're not going to win or at least try to win? Someone should tell the Bears that. We compete to win. We've got to have a motivation. So if this race is hard, and it takes endurance, and it takes mo- perseverance, and we need our motivation, where does that come from? Where does our motivation for this race come from? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus is our motivation for this race. When we run this race, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. Nothing else matters. Like a horse running a race, they put blinders on the horses so you don't see what's going on next to you. The horses just run. We've got to put blinders on and say, I don't care what that Christian's doing. I don't care what that Christian's doing. I'm not going to compare myself to this guy's walk or her walk. I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to focus on what he wants me to do. I'm going to focus on getting to the end line and having that moment, that day where we stand before him and he says, Nice race. You did well. You ran as hard as you possibly could. The writer of Hebrews here says he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. The one who started everything. The one who called you into faith. The one who sent the Holy Spirit and put that on you so that you could respond to the free gift of grace. He started it and he finishes it. He perfects it. Another word is finishes it. Jesus perfects our faith. He completes our faith. How does he do that? Ultimately, what is our faith in? 
Christians, what do, what, do we, what do we have faith in? Our faith is that Jesus was who he said he was. Our faith is that, the, that he did what the Bible says that he did. That he died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, offering us the grace of eternal life with God. He gave us the ability to have a right relationship with God, to be in right standing, good standing, have a good relationship with the creator of all existence. He perfects that faith by going to the cross, paying a penalty for our sins, and giving us the opportunity to believe that that and only that can save us. That and that only that can let us have a right relationship with God. Now the writer of Hebrews uses a weird phrase right here. Well, it's weird in that it's tricky to understand, where he says, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? What do you guys think it was? Do you think it was that night where he's in the garden praying and a bunch of soldiers come up to him and one of his 12 best friends is leading the charge for these guys who come to arrest him? Was it the fact that he looked around and his 11 other buddies scattered like cockroaches when he turned the lights on? Was the joy in the lies and the false accusations and the mock court that he went through? Was the joy in the beatings and the spit and the punches and the kicks? Was it being paraded around town carrying his own cross? Was it maybe, maybe the joy was in that moment where Jesus was getting whipped over and over and over again? Maybe he found joy in having that crown of thorns jammed into his head. How about those big, sweet nails that went through his hands and feet? Was that where the joy that was before him was? Or when he hung on a cross, gasping for breath? Well, we know it's not the cross, right? Because it says right here, he despised the shame of the cross. That's one of the great things. It's one of the things that the Romans loved about crucifixion was because you hung up there pretty much naked with your crimes plastered on a wall, on, on a board on top of your head, and you hung there for the world to see so that they won't do what you did. I mean, the crucifixion, there's, there's some deep shame there. There's some deep pain and embarrassment there. Was that where the joy that was set before Jesus was? Was it in any of that? No. The joy that was set before him, the joy that was coming, the reason he endured those things, was us. That joy is our salvation. God Almighty, the creator of all existence, the one who keeps things moving, he finds joy in you entering into a relationship with him. Not happiness, not, oh, hey, the sun's out. I'm going to have a good day. Not, ooh, that's a good cup of coffee, happiness. I'm talking joy. I'm talking not changing, not affected by anything. He finds joy in you in you having a right relationship with him. The joy that was set before Christ was not what he had to go through, but he went through it because at the other end, he knows there is salvation waiting for those who believe that him and he and only his death makes it possible for you to enter into a right relationship with God. The joy sent before Jesus is our salvation. It's us that in itself is just mind-boggling to me. That in itself, I, I, I can't wrap my head fully around that. That he would go through those things 
for us. And then what happens to him? How does that verse finish? It says he is glorified. He is right where he's supposed to be. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. After enduring the cross, after enduring the shame, Jesus returns, sitting at the right hand of the Father of God, right where he's supposed to be. It's a place of prominence. It's a place of authority. It's a place showing proof for us that we have put our faith in something that is true and good. It is faith. It is proof that we have put our faith in a God who is bigger than sin and death and hell and the grave because those things couldn't stop him. Those things couldn't hold him. And he is right now seated in a place of pure authority and prominence. Jesus is sitting right where he's supposed to be glorified. Showing, look, put your faith in me. Trust me, this race is hard. Christianity is hard. It does not make everything sunshine and rainbows. But if you fix your eyes on me, you fix your eyes on me and know that I am going to get you through this. I am going to take care of you. We are called to run. And if we're called to run, we should run. We are being called to run by God himself. So if we're called to run, we should run with everything that is in us. We should run with everything we have and run in such a way that we glorify God in the way we do it. Run hard. Run fast. And to do that, we have to get rid of the weight and the sins that so easily entangle us, that so cling so closely, the things that are going to slow us down because we need to be running at top speed. We need to be running with everything we have. Life is hard and messy and dirty, and there are going to be times you need motivation. There are going to be times where you need some encouragement. Because there are going to be times where it feels like life is too hard. The world is too dark. Our situation is too great. There are going to be times where we feel like there is nothing we can do, but we have been given motivations and encouragement because let us run this race together. We are called to do this together. We have been given this wonderful gift of the church. Right? There's no accident that Jesus, when he ascends into heaven, what's the next thing that happened? The book of Acts happens. It's a bunch of Christians sitting around saying, okay, how are we going to do this now that he's gone? And the church happens. Because the church is the support system God has given us to run this race. And remember that people have done it before you. Not only those men and women in the Bible, not only those people that we hold up and we learn Sunday school songs and Sunday school classes about. Not only them, but think about in your own life. Men and women who have gone before you. Great church leaders, great people in your family who have gone and run the race and run the race well. There are people who have done this. You are not the first person to deal with trials. You are not the first person to deal with the pain and the hardship of life. Does it make it easier? No, it doesn't. It doesn't make that 13th mile any, any, fun, any more fun. But it's a motivation that says, I can keep going. I can keep going. Remember that others have gone before you. They have run the race and received the prize. And ultimately, focus on Jesus. Focus on him for our motivation, for our inspiration, because he has done these things. He has suffered in a way that we won't ever have to suffer. He endured shame and pain and hardship and death that was designed and should have been ours, but he did it on our behalf. He is our motivation. And he gets joy from our salvation. So let's run. 
Let us as a community, as a team, as a church, run. Now when you're running a race, when you're running a, a marathon like we're stuck in, you need nourishment. You need something to help you get you through. And we've been given that in communion. Communion is nourishment for the race we are going to run. Communion is a time for believers to remember what Christ has done for us, focus on what Christ has done for us. And we're going to take communion this morning. There's nothing special about communion. There's nothing special about what's going on here. It's some bread. And it's some juice. There's nothing special about these things. But what they do is they symbolize and they, they remind us of what Christ did for us. They remind us that his body was broken. He was beaten and executed for us in our place where we should have been. And his blood was spilled. And in doing so, he says, I'm going to change things up. I'm going to make this not about how good you think you can be, but because I am great, I am awesome, and I am bigger than sin, I'm going to make this about me. You put your faith and your trust in me, in my sacrifice. You have a right relationship with God. So here at CF, communion is for believers. Whether or not this is your home church, if you are a believer in Christ, if you would put your faith in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, come and eat with us. Enjoy communion. If that's not you this morning, if you're still trying to figure that out, you still got questions about who Jesus is, about what he did for you, come up and talk to me. Let's talk. Let's pray. If you have made a decision this morning, if you've said, you know what, I'm tired of trying to run this race by myself. I want to be part of a community. I want to be, I want to be focused on Jesus. Then come and celebrate with us. You can come up. The band's going to come up and play, and you can come up and Take communion, you can take it here, you can take it back to your seats, take it whenever you'd like. You know, we're going to take it as individuals. But let's run. CF, this is a time of newness. This is a time of transition for us. I'm super excited about where we're going to go and we get to do it together as a community. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are good and you are always good. There is none like you. God, thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for us. To endure the, the shame and the pain. To endure those things for us. God, you have called us to run a marathon. Remind us that you are with us. Remind us that you are our motivation. That Jesus is our motivation. That you have already sent people ahead of us who have shown us how to do this. And you have given us this church, you have given us this community to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to motivate one another. Lord, let us run this race and run it as hard and as fast as we can. God, I thank you for the sacrifice of your son, for his body broken and his blood spilled, and what that represents for us, for the new life that that gives to us. Lord, if anyone in here this morning does not know you, does not have a right relationship with you, I pray that they might come to know you today, realizing that belief and faith in your Son is the only way to get to heaven. We pray all of these things because Jesus is good and awesome. Amen.